3: And welcome to CEO Coach this wonderful Monday morning. This is Jillian Music with Ann Kennedy. Welcome, Ann. Hi, Jillian. How
4: are you today?
3: Doing beautifully well. Um, We've got a really interesting segment today. We're just going to chat among ourselves.
4: I am so excited because I really found... Every time we talk to uh, have guests who talk about funding and VC, I get really, really confused with all the terminology. And I suspect that I'm not the only one in the world that finds some of this tribal speak confusing. So what let's go through it. Um, Tell us what we need to know.
3: Absolutely. I know that there are a lot of glossaries of terms out in the web, and I'd suggest anybody listening here, anytime you hear that stuff, uh, you know, write it down, go get your glossary of terms, whatever, or just say to people, um, what does that mean? Sometimes things mean a little bit different stuff to different people and you just want to know where the other guy's coming from. And I guess that's perhaps one of my big tips on being a power player in any conversation anyway. Get over the fact that you don't know everything and just lay it right out there. Excuse me, what does that mean? And it puts the other person on the line <laughs> as opposed to you. So uh, here, that's pretty cool. But let's start with stuff like deals. Uh, we're going to talk about just the sniglets you know those little acronyms and funky words around funding so the question is what's a deal a deal is really a company it's the company that has the potential to get investment and it wants to get investment it's just a company that's kind of pitching it it wants some money that's pretty easy so what else do you want to know ann
4: okay so a term i hear a lot when we're out and about is deal flow so you're talking about flows of companies
3: is uh, that what that is? Literally, yes. Okay. It's a series of deals right? that meet the criteria, which means the potential to get investment and they want to get invested right? So they, they need some money and they can actually get it. Now, the potential to get investment means you've met all this criteria that says you are, quote, an investable company. We can spend, you know, six shows on that. And so we won't get into all the p- bits and pieces, but it means different things to different groups of people. It means different things to your mom, right, than it does to, for example, a venture capitalist. They will have different criteria as to whether they think they're going to put their money down on the table. But A deal flow, right, is usually used by an angel or a VC group. So some companies in a deal flow will be determined to be ready and some of them are not determined to be ready for investment, right? So if you're ready, you're going to get it. And if not, you're not. It doesn't mean if you're part of a deal flow that you're going to get your money. It just means you're part of the number of companies that meet the criteria that set up, you know, that we talked about, right? The potential to get invested and that you want it and they're going to listen to you. So that's deal flow. It doesn't mean oh. that they take everyone to listen to the pitch and it doesn't mean everybody who pitches gets the money.
4: So it's, you might, another way we might talk about it is it's their stable of companies or it's a gr- the group of companies um, that they're considering.
3: That they're considering, right. A stable yeah. of companies would kind of say that's the the stuff they've kind of invested in. So okay, we'll just be careful it. about using that word stable because it means, I don't know, it is literally more stable. <laughs> okay? oh, it's two right. different ways <laughs> to look at the word <laughs> so we will get all wrapped around it. Yeah, there, there just aren't enough words in the
4: English language to go Correct. around, are there? <laughs> yeah.
3: No, there aren't. So these sounds just keep coming back at us. But seriously, the deal flow just means the companies they are looking at. It's the stuff that's available for them to see. In other words, if I were sitting in an angel group and it was my job to manage deal flow, I would be actively seeking companies that meet the criteria of this angel group who want to get funded. I've got to go find them. They don't necessarily find me. And in general, I'd say one of the kind of secrets, if you will, to investing, maybe it's not so secret, is that the stuff that isn't being shopped around is the best stuff. Right. If you're wait, there- wait, wait.
4: Now you yeah. used a new term. The shopping, the deals is what the, uh, what the companies that want to be funded would be doing. Is that right?
3: It literally means to present an angel or a VC group. It's to speak in appropriate places and forums to appropriate potential investors about your project. Okay? So it's possibly that you even you know, connect with brokers to do that job for you or whatever. It's shopping the deal. It means I'm trying to sell this company to others. Right? Not, not sell the company as and sell the whole thing. Sell stock in my company. Right? It's called so, shopping the deal. You talk to lots of people. Okay. Sometimes the best deals are not even being shopped. They're being discussed very quietly in a few coffee shops with those people who can afford to put their money down. And those are, if you will, the first uh, very qualified angel investors. You know how they say it takes money to make money and that sort of thing? Well, certainly if you have a sum of money and the ability to invest in this wild stuff that is early stage entrepreneurship. In other words, high risk and possibly high return and so on and you have the ability to get that deal flow. In other words, people know about you. They know what you invest in. They know that you choose well and so on. Those companies with the very highest criteria already in place, you know, maybe they're, I don't know, post-revenue. They uh, have extraordinary ideas, but they're not post-revenue and so on. Those companies that are, if you will, the best deals, tend not to be shopped around to every angel and VC group. They will go direct to these high net worth individuals who really do know the good stuff and they get access to that good stuff and that private stuff goes around in the background. So it's difficult to understand whether or not one should invest. That sounds
4: a bit like um, buying a a house at the coast here in the Pacific Ah, Northwest. The best ones never go on the market.
3: That's right. The neighbor knows somebody who is a friend of the other one that they'd like to have as a neighbor, so they bring them in. Right. The best ones don't go on the market. You have to go around the back end and make friends with the neighbors. It's essentially the same stuff. And this happens in every sector, I think, of life. So yeah, I think so,
4: too. Yeah.
3: Okay. We should talk about how much your company could get funded for. We call that valuations. So there's this concept of pre-money valuation, right? I often hear people say, um, let's see, we're raising two mil on five mil pre. It's like, what the heck did you just say?
4: Yep, that's, what, that's my is. reaction I'm talking, too.
3: Right, right. It's like, would you please speak English? Here it is in English. Some company wants to raise $2 million. They believe their company is worth $5 million today. Once you put in the $2 million, their company is going to be worth $7 million, all right? Five million that they think it's worth today. And if you agree to put down $2 million based on that statement, well, then you agree too. So after funding or post-money, it will be worth seven. Everybody got that? Pre-money valuation or five mil pre means I think my company is worth five million bucks today before you give me any money.
4: What are some of the factors that we use to determine that?
3: Well, one doesn't generally look at things like income because these companies are very early stage, right? They expect to make money in the future, but they haven't made any today in general when we're looking at things like seed funding or angel funding or VC funding even. And we'll get to all of those terms shortly. So – The things you would look at in uh, determining the valuation of a company before it gets its funding uh, is usually the potential of the idea itself, the quality of the team. And you and I, Anne, we're going to do a whole show just about teams and what you and I look and of successful uh, C-teams or founders of companies and so on, and why we think that company is going to succeed because of its founder group rather than another company with the same idea because of its founder group, right? Those are the kinds of things we look at. Can this team really get the job done? Can it take you to what we would call the finish line, you know, where I get my money out? (laughs) Um, Can it uh, make the connections it needs to grow properly? Uh, Does it have enough Indians, not just chiefs, but Indians on the ground to get this job done? Probably it won't, but if I give it the money, will this company then be able to hire those kinds of people? And then you and I are going to do another show, Anne, about culture. Right? The corporate culture itself, does it flow from the C-level team? In other words, the founder or co-founders, does this culture work really well? Will it attract best-in-class talent? Or does kind of the nature of this leadership team or single leader right, feel a little, I don't know, oily, uncomfortable, whatever? People aren't going to want to work with this guy for any reason. Those are important issues. We look for C-teams, we look for the idea, we look for the viability, and then we look at the competitive landscape. I mean, the idea of, you know, organizing the pages of the web, that sounds really smart about providing advertising online for companies, brilliant. But, you know, just a couple of companies have that space already. It's going to be pretty tough to break in. I don't know, Google, Yahoo, AOL, MSN, you know, uh, Bing rather, right? It's going to be tough. Right, so, so we've got the, the competitive free money landscape.
4: We got the pre-money and the post-money valuation. That's just great. I think we need to take a break now. Um, This is uh, Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music and CEO Coach. We're talking about the tribal speak of the funding world. We'll be right back.
2: More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's
0: eBrandsWithAZ for
2: eBrands.
0: At BruceClay.com,
2: we're back with Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
4: And welcome back to CEO Coach. I'm Ann Kennedy. We're talking with Jillian Music, who is the founder of CEO Coach and knows just about everything there is to know about everything. So we are talking today... You see? I, I admire you, too. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know, I squat, and but I sure can get some of these little Sniglets translated. <laughs>
4: well, exactly. Speaking of Sniglets, we are talking about the money, the tribal speak of money and investing um, and VCs. And we covered before pre-money and post-money and just exactly what a deal is and how you shop it. Now, let's get down to some of the nitty-gritty Tell us about a term sheet.
3: Uh, term sheets, wonderful things. Everybody wants one. All right. If you're going to get money, you're going to want a term sheet. But what the heck is it? I'll tell you, it's a non-binding document. Get that non-binding. Doesn't promise you anything. You don't promise anything. It's a non-binding document that you're going to get from your VC, possibly even an angel group, right? It outlines the major components or aspects of an investment that's going to get made in your company. It says that they will agree that your company is worth this pre-money valuation for that 4 million 5 million whatever they've decided, right? It will set the groundwork for building out those detailed legal documents that go on, you know, for 45 miles in any given direction that you have to slog through, right? So, again, it's a non-binding document. It's very short. Think of it like an executive summary for your uh, company. This is kind of an executive summary for your term sheet. We'll get to the term executive summary, again, later. But I think most people know what that means. It's the short, short version of what's my company about, right? This is the short, short version of what's this funding going to look like. How much money are we going to give you? How much money are we basing it on? In other words, if I give you 2 million bucks and you said your company was worth 4 million, well when I'm finished, I'm going to own a third of your company. How'd that work? Once again, pre-money valuation would be 4 million, so post-money valuation would be 6 million. 2 million dollars of 6 million total, a third of the company. Okay, so get those numbers in order. That's what term sheets are. Okay, then. Wait, Um, Anne. I'm sorry. There's one more thing about term sheets everybody should know about. And that's that you use one term sheet to shop it around to other people and get better ones. In other words, if I get a term sheet from, say, venture capital company A, they are fully aware that I am likely to send it to venture capital company B and C and D and attempt to get a better deal. So term sheets are a little bit funky in the negotiating process. You want to get a very good term sheet and let somebody else make a better offer. Uh, The VC does want to give you a very good term sheet, but they also don't want to get bid out by someone else once they've done it and then they have to possibly raise it or they've spent all their time and effort and they don't get anything out of it. It's pretty funky. It's quite a fine line. So, you do want your term sheet to be very good, of course, and you do want to show it around, perhaps, to others. Or you can negotiate a deal that says, I won't shop this term sheet. I will work only with you, but you will agree to accept my valuation at six or eight or ten million instead of five or six or seven million, whatever it is. Right? Those kinds of things, you negotiate one thing for another inside your term sheet. All right, that's what you should know about term sheets.
4: So it's, uh, they're all about how you negotiate the deal, and they're an important tool in the negotiation is what you're that's telling right.
3: us. A, a tool and, if you will, a temporary conversion, we used to call us, right, or interim conversions. We used to call it in marketing, right? Mm, it's yeah. It's something along the way to getting to the full sale. <laughs> all right. So that's the term sheet. Let's go on.
4: Yeah. Tell us about all those different – that alphabet soup around different kinds of uh, funding.
3: Oh, yeah, the Series A and the Series B and the the Series – yeah, yeah, those guys. Okay, so the Series A, B, C, D literally is just the order of the funding. It refers to the number of times your company has raised some funds, right? In general, there's seed funding. That's the first one. And it can be wholly or partially accomplished with funds from you, the entrepreneur. It can be from your friends and your family, literally called a friends and family round. It means, you know, your your parents gave you money, uh, your siblings, uh, cousins, and so on, or your friend from college. So your friends and family help you launch the company. They own a piece of stock as a result of their support, or it isn't called a friends and family round. A friends and family round that doesn't give away stock was simply your friends and family donating money to you. If it was a loan and it's a personal loan, again, it's not your friends and family round. You can say, I raised some money from friends and family, but it doesn't impact the stock unless you gave them stock, right? So generally, it's just a few thousand bucks, unless, of course, you come from wealth and you know you know, brilliantly wealthy people. Then it could be millions. That's a different matter. But usually, it's just a few thousand bucks. Then there comes, uh, after the seed funding, an angel round. Again, still not called series A, B, or C. It can be a single qualified investor in an angel round, you know, an angel. Or it can be an angel group and they invest kind of all together into a group and they meet and have wine and have pitches and you know hors d'oeuvres and have a good time and they listen to you over lunch and then they make a decision that's angel groups and they're usually in the say fifty to two million dollar range in the US um, and that's kind of the sweet spot uh, being in the hundred to five hundred thousand dollar range okay and I've heard lots that go lower and lots that go higher they can be as little as 10 or 15 they could be as much as a million bucks but just so you have the sense, or even two million bucks, right? Just so you have a sense of where that sweet spot is. It's usually in the hundred to $500,000 range. Once you've raised money from an angel round, whether a single angel, a couple of individual angels you got to meet separately, or an angel group, then you get to this first real or serious round is what it's called, right? That's the VC funding stuff. The first funding you get from a VC is called the Series A. Now, that said, I've also heard sometimes the angel round being called a series a so it gets a little mucky and murky in there just because somebody says they raised their series a doesn't absolutely mean it was a vc uh, just most of the time
4: okay then so we're up to series a which may be the angel it may be the vc what happens after that
3: well literally b c and d it follows on if you need if you will more funding um to come into your company to get to different stages and so on, you go raise more money. VCs tend to start around the million dollar range. I mean they, they really don't do anything less than that, but they can go as much as hundred million bucks. And it's usually several VC groups by the time it gets to the hundred million bucks. Sometimes it's several groups just to get to two or three or four million. All right. So um, there's something called a VC taking the lead investor position. This is the first venture capital company that you will have uh, kind of gotten that term sheet from. They've agreed to take the lead position. They say, yes, we understand you're raising, say, $2 million or 4000000 bucks. million. Let's say $4 bucks. They say, we'll be the lead investor, but we want some follow-ons. Sometimes they will help you find those other investors. Sometimes they send you back out in the road to go do it. So here I have a uh, venture capital company A. And I've got to go out and find venture capital company B and C or or two and three, let's say, because we don't want to confuse the ABCs here, right? Venture capital company number one, I've got to go find number two and three. Venture capital company number one will say take, I don't know, one and a half million. And the other two guys will either split it evenly or one will take a million and the other guy will take something less. Who knows what? It doesn't matter. By the time you're done... The lead investor will kind of have the largest sum of it, and there'll be a few follow-on investors. So lead investors the first guy, follow-ons are the next guy, refers to VC funding.
4: Is there any particular stage that can be the most difficult?
3: Yeah, definitely. That 2 to $5 million range, the first time you hit a venture capital uh, company, that is the most difficult money to raise. The reason... Most companies want to raise that sum, so this is the if you will, the swell in the i don 't know the bell curve right almost everybody sits in that two to five million dollar range. Some companies are raising ten fifty a hundred you know, million so on. They are more rare, and it is actually easier to raise a great deal of money than it is to raise this middle section, very tough because there are so many competitors in that pool along with you
4: my goodness well i think we've got about a minute before our next break um do you want to cool let's talk about
3: exit exit yes right because we got a minute before the break okay so this is the very process and the moment at which all these investors are able to cash out this is where they get their money they take their money they do whatever they want with it and this is where the irs generally gets its share we can come back and talk about all the different kinds of exits when we come back to the show This is Jillian Music with Ann Kennedy at CEO Coach. We'll be right back.
2: More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at InternetMarketingNinjas.com. BubbleFast burst onto the e commerce scene as a family owned shipping supply provider back in 1999. The product line has grown. But Mark and Robin still own and operate BubbleFast as a family business. Being sellers themselves has taught them what online sellers need to safely and affordably deliver their products to their customers. BubbleFast is proud to be an active member of the community of online sellers. Mark and Robin sponsor seller meetup groups, share shipping tips and tricks through social media, and always love talking to customers and helping solve shipping challenges. Check out the website at bubblefast.com. Sign up for the Bubble Briefs newsletter to join the BubbleFast family. Use promo code WMR to get a 5% discount. Or call Mark and Robin at 877-599-7447. Happy shipping from Mark and Robin at BubbleFast. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. we're back with jillian music and ann kennedy on ceo coach only on webmasterradio.fm
4: welcome back to ceo coach this is ann kennedy we've been talking with jillian music about all the terminology the tribal speak if you will of uh, f- the funding world, which I personally have found very confusing. Jillian, it is so great that we've taken time to do this on CEO Coach. I know you'd like us to cover many other topics, but I think this these are basics. So we've been through from kind of start to finish. We've defined the deal. We've defined the uh, uh, pre-money versus post-money. We've defined the series of funding, and we talked about an exit. So how about... What happens after that?
3: Let's talk about preferred shares versus common stock, okay? Preferred stock, common stock, preferred shares, common shares, right? Let's do that because that's the stuff that investors get, all right? And we talked a moment about exit just before we exited out to our uh, sponsors at the end of the last segment. But um, let's talk about the kinds of shares that we have and then how that exits later. So a good way to compensate people when you're giving away money is to give them some stock, right? So I invest, I get stock, but there are several different kinds. There's common stock, preferred stock, and even founder shares. Now, preferred stock or shares they give their owners something more than just common stock they get things like priority dividend payments if you're going to pay a dividend if you're going to pay one in the future they get priority there that's nice they get theirs first they get this higher position on the pecking order as well in the event of the company's demise if all you know shots go to hell and you close well, when the company's assets are liquidated um, and or goes into bankruptcy or something, right, they get their money out first, uh, just behind the IRS and a few other folks, of course. Uh, but uh, they get it, and it sometimes means the founders get nothing. Now… With a 1x or 2x or 3x preference inside a preferred share or preferred stock, right? That means that they are descri- preferences really describe the multiples of your initial uh, investment. So if you put down a million bucks and you have a 1x preference, it means that should this company either get good stuff like be sold, go public, or bad stuff like go bankrupt, you get first dibs. On getting your money out, and you get the minimum of your initial investment back, one times your investment, that million bucks. If you had a 2x preference, well, you get two million bucks, right? 3x, you get three million bucks, So, VCs who are kind of a bit reticent to invest can occasionally be enticed to buy your stock or invest, right, if they have a higher multiple such as a 3x return. This means when your company does go public and you ring that bell on Wall Street, they get three times or whatever it was the money they put in. So, if they come in and they give you a million bucks and let's say that the value of every piece of stock they buy is worth five bucks a share right you go public and your stock value is going public at 10 bucks a share well they're still short 5 bucks on their 3x preference right they said they're going to give you 5 million they expect to get 15 now what the answer is you will pay it to them by giving them more of your own shares you the founder will give them more of your own shares until they are quote made whole that means they've made 3 times now you can do some games around this this is very important there are uh, time limits for example during which the stock might have to hit that certain price again they invested in 5 bucks it's got to hit 15 well even if you go live at 10 you excuse me uh, go public at 10 right you 've made your i p o your uh, initial public offering at ten bucks a share right it hasn 't met their fifteen, but you could have in your contract with them. Uh, it must hit that within i don 't know twenty days uh, so that you 've got twenty different days you could trade on it at that within the first hundred and eighty days so now you 've got a six month window after you go public well, if you went public at ten for the next six months at least 20 of those trading days must have a stock price of 15. It could go up and down and this and that, but if it's 15 or better on any 20 days, you're done, whether they decide to sell or not. That means you're not quite beholden to say, oh, I must go public this day with this number. So it gives you a little flexibility. Now, what a preference cannot do is exact that sum from your personal hide. You, as the founder of a company... Uh, do not promise a venture capitalist three times their investment from your own money. You do it only limited to the amount of stock you own. So whatever stock you have, if they don't get, quote, made whole, which means they don't get their preference out, whatever it was, right, the limit of your liability lies with the company itself, with its stock, that's all you've got to give them. Okay, founder shares. Sometimes there are restrictions put on founder shares, right, and other kinds of senior executives as well, right? It prevents them from dumping their shares on the market as soon as the stock goes live. So, for example... You put out your shares of stock in an initial IPO. Uh, You own, say, I don't know, a million shares of your own stock. You cannot dump that full million shares on day one. This would destroy the stock or destroy the market for it, uh, mess things up terribly. It would harm both the major investors like the venture capitalists. It would certainly harm the new buyers of your stock who are the general public out there buying stock now on open market. So you don't want people to do that. You want to meet it out slowly. You want to restrict that stock. Founder shares have restrictions on it. Sometimes, and usually, as a matter of fact, it says you can't sell it for the first, I don't know, month, two months, three months, ten months, whatever it is. Sometimes it's as much as a year. You can only sell a little bit, and the rest of it, you are told. Uh, it kind of... Uh, does a couple of things. It means make sure you don't dump stock and ruin the market, but it also makes sure that you keep your head in the game and you, as a senior executive of your own company, are now still focused on maintaining and increasing share value for your company because your money is in it. You can see that. So that makes kind of sense. Common stock, that's the regular stuff that everybody else gets right? It's a common form of equity and pun is intended there, right? In the event of disaster, you wait until all that preferred shareholder group gets their share and then you finally get your money out. So that's kind of the downside of it. But common shares, they can be bought, sold, this, that. They don't have restrictions. You know, when you get an IPO, you get to just sell your stock if that's what you choose.
4: So this has been fantastic because I have a much clearer understanding now. I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk about this on CEO Coach. Unfortunately, we are out of time and I know there's a lot more to say about this fascinating topic. So uh, maybe we'll take it up in another another episode, Jillian?
3: I think it's a brilliant idea. We should talk about everything from voting rights and classes of common stocks to dilutions to accredited investors and non-accredited investors, all kinds of things. There's all kinds of stuff we can talk about in the future.
4: So go on and take us home, Jillian.
3: All right. This has been Jillian Music with Ann Kennedy at CEO Coach. We hope you'll stop by at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash CEO Coach Podcast. Tell us what you think. Hit the like button so we know you're there. Ask questions. We'll try to get them answered right here on the show. We certainly have links to resources on there as well. And as we have guests, we will link also to our guests so that you can make contact with them. You can download these shows through webmasterradio.fm, iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, let's see, Stitcher, and so many other places around the web. Till next week, this is Ann Kennedy and Jillian Music.